Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Large retail and e-commerce companies have made it easy for consumers to buy just about anything and everything online. But there's a new company in Chicago that is helping small businesses compete with the big guys so they can offer the same flexibility and speed of receiving their purchases. La La Move is an app-based, same-day courier service that helps with delivery for small businesses. The goal at La La Move is simple. Help local Chicago small businesses by providing affordable delivery for their customers. La La Move merges the rideshare model with courier services to deliver anything from flowers to furniture and everything in between. Right now, La La Move is offering free delivery for one month. Visit lalamove.com. That's lalamove.com to learn more. The enemy is you. Hey, come on, JB. <laughs> We haven't even done anything yet. I'm always in trouble with JB. You ever notice that? (laughs) What I do, man? (laughs) The enemy is you. (laughs) Hey, everybody. How's it going? We're live. Live stream chat. What is happening? Frank, thank you for the song of the day. I'm very curious as to uh, you pick the songs of the day. I was just thinking that uh, a few minutes ago. What's the process, Frank, of how you pick these songs of the day? Maybe we should get Frank on for a bonus interview one day. What do you say, Ben? I, I say yes. Yeah. The guy's I, just a freaking news junkie. I thought I was a news junkie until I met Frank. We talk, uh, we talk about him so much on the show. I think it's long overdue. We have an interview, a one-on-one with Frank. My bet, my bet is, uh, the logic is, Ben's old. I'm taking old songs from the oldies radio station, and it works because pretty much – even if I can't like articulate the song that he picks, I hear it. You get what I'm saying? Whereas like when you pick a song or some of our uh, other listeners pick a song from the nineties or the O's, I'm like, uh, <laughs> like yesterday was down. Wasn't it yesterday downtown? Yesterday was downtown. When you're alone, life is making you low. Come on, D, you can always go Ugh, downtown. Yeah, <laughs> golly. <laughs> All right, Frank's in, so we should book that. All right, your Ben Jarofsky show for Friday, February 5th is just moments away. But before we do this, let's thank our sponsors. Sponsors like SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, our sponsors, as well as the Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com, subscribe to the Reader for all things there is to know about the city of Chicago. 
my favorite part of the reader, I, it's been gone. I mean, understandably, the early warnings list, concerts that are coming to town. It'll be back one of these days. Chicago Reader, go check it out. Also, Ben's column, weekly, Chicago Reader. This one involves Kelly Cassidy, right, Ben? KC, who will be on the show next week. Oh, that's a tease. Yeah, KC will be on the show. Uh, I'm outraged, but not really about uh, Heather Staines handing off her seat to Kelly Cassidy. I take the deep dive on filling vacancies. Uh, so, yeah, I have a lot of fun with it. All right. And uh, Kelly Cassidy will be on the show next week. By then, she may be Senator Kelly Cassidy. Ooh, oh, my goodness. We would Fingers crossed. We may get a scoop or something, you know? I'm going to have to clean up this room. If she's Senator Kelly Cassidy as opposed to state reps, you know what? A state senator as opposed to, I got to clean up the room. Dude. I mean, the least, you can, do, the anyway. least you can do is just clean up that one section everybody can see uh, on the computer. That's the least you can do. Is it kind of messy back there? Yeah, it looks good. looks good. Maybe a little dusting. Maybe get a little sw- the Swiffer out. I'm going to get some. I'm going to dust this room down. Oh, God. This thing. I don't even want to discuss all the. Boxes I gotta put away. Please no. Please no. All right. Your song of the day from Frank is My Sweet Lord by George Harrison. Oh my goodness. Uh well, I could do the chiffons. He stole it from the chiffons, but uh that's he's so fine. But I'll stick to my sweet love. Come on, D. My love. I really wanna be. Now I'm going to do the slide guitar, Frank. <laughs> you know, he stole it from my, uh, he's so fine. You know that, don't you? Just want to say, George Harrison, love you dearly, but you stole that from the that, that was bad. The Ben Jarofsky show starts now. <laughs> Friday, February 5th, and live from my apartment and his attic, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's another Ramana Rundown with Chicago Sun-Times editor, Ramana Hussein. And now your host. Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this 2 plus 2 equals 4 Friday. And here's why. Big defamation lawsuit filed yesterday in New York City. Smartmatic, a company that provides election technology, is seeking $2.7 billion in damages from Rupert Murdoch's Fox Corporation. That's $2.7 billion with a B, to paraphrase Lori Lightfoot. Uh, Smartmatic has accused Rupert's network of defamation and contributing to the fervor that led to the siege of the Capitol. They named three of President Donnie's favorite Fox personalities, including Lou Dobbs and Janine Perot. Pretty well-written lawsuit, D, as lawsuits go. And I'm not hating on lawyers when I say that. Some of my best friends are lawyers, speaking of which, Jim Coogan will be here next week to talk about impeachment. And we'll probably talk about this lawsuit. But legal briefs are not always the most scintillating of readings, except for this one. This one's actually pretty good, and I will now read the opening. This is the opening of the lawsuit. I got to say, that brown line was extra long on that one. My goodness, usually it just goes right by. That one was an extender train there. That's Mayor Pete driving about (laughs) brown line. He's like, dude, dude, how you doing, Chicago? (laughs) You know, it's now the transportation secretary. 
Here's the opening. The earth is round. Two plus two equals four. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris won the 2020 election for president and vice president of the United States. The election was not stolen, rigged, or fixed. These are facts. These are demonstrable and irrefutable. Defendants have always known these facts. They know that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris won the 2020 U.S. election. They know that the election was not stolen. They know the election was not rigged or fixed. They knew these truths just as they knew the earth is round and two plus two equals four. Defendants did not want Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to win the election. They wanted President Donald Trump and Vice President Michael Pence to win re-election. Defendants were disappointed but they also saw an opportunity to capitalize on President Trump's popularity by inventing a story. Defendants decided to tell people that the election was stolen from Trump and Pence, end of quote. That's the opening, and that is well done, lawyers. Whoever wrote that, probably some writer in the back room. Let me write this, okay? No, I'm just kidding. I'm sure it was some lawyer with the... Harvard or wherever, really well done. And it just sums everything up. They just, the, what is it, MAGA and their enablers on TV just made it up. They made up this whole story about, in this case, uh, Smartmatic changing votes and then having like some kind of bizarre connection to Hugo Chavez made it all up. MAGA started passing it back and forth. Giuliani was passing it back and forth. Just filling MAGA's heads with all kinds of nonsense. So that MAGA would say, well, I just don't believe it. I don't believe this is true. There's still like folks out there. I've seen them interviewed on TV that say, I went to bed on election night and Trump was winning. When I woke up the next day, he was not winning. Something is wrong. Yeah, it's called counting the votes. They didn't count all the votes on election night by the time you went to bed. Anyway, Fox was making a lot of money by giving MAGA what it wanted, I will add. It's what was one of the highest rated uh, TV networks on cable TV. Their uh, broadcasters, their enablers, their superstars make huge salaries. So, yes, it was profitable. It, was, it not only worked from a political standpoint, you fill MAGA's head with nonsense, they'll vote your way, they'll elect senators and congressmen and presidents, they'll give tax breaks to the wealthy like Rupert Murdoch, but it also works as entertainment. A lot of people watching, charge a lot in advertising, et cetera, and so forth, more money for Murdoch. So, yeah, it works from a political standpoint and a business standpoint. And so there's no incentive for the foxes of the world to clean up their act. And that's why this lawsuit is so important. And I've got mixed feelings when I say this. I've been working for newspapers my whole life. And I realize that when you have a, a big defamation lawsuit like this, it could end up in some journalists losing their jobs. On the other hand, I don't see any other way to force the fox of the world to stop broadcasting garbage to fill the minds of MAGA. In fact, just there was an uh, item in the New York Times to prove this point that uh, ran yesterday, and I'll just read this to you. Uh, here we go, right here. 
Uh, even after the storming of the Capitol on January 6th, a deadly riot led by Trump loyalists, the talk of fraud has not fully died down. In an appearance on Tuesday on Newsmax, Mike Lindell, the MyPillow funder, who had been one of Trump's most devoted supporters, began an attack on Dominion, another election company, in a sign that the threat of defamation lawsuits has deterred media outlets that have broadcast conspiracy theories. The Newsmax, the Newsmax anchor cut off Lindell and read a statement, quote, the election results in every state were certified. Newsmax accepts the results as legal and final. The courts have also supported that view. End of quote. In other words, uh, we have to add this to cover ourselves uh, for the law- lawsuit that is, will be filed or may have already been filed. I don't know if that, by the way, will stop people from going on TV, making all kinds of outrageous um, contentions. But it's a, a step in the right direction. And speaking of outrageous contentions, Marjorie Taylor Greene, the QAnon congresswoman from Georgia, was ousted by Congress from two committees yesterday. It was largely partisan vote, as you probably already know. Only 11 Republicans, including Illinois' Adam Kinzinger, joined the Democrats. In her defense, Marjorie Taylor Greene said this, and I am quoting, quote, I was allowed to believe things that weren't true, and I would ask questions about them and talk about them, end of quote. Allowed to believe things that weren't true. Let's be clear. She was the one on social media gave thumbs up to killing Democratic Congress people. It wasn't like someone allowed her to do it. She did that. And now she's like blaming some unknown, unnamed person, place, or thing for, quote, allowing her to do something that she shouldn't have done. And by saying, I was allowed to believe it, like it was somebody else's fault, it's as though she doesn't want to be held accountable for the wretched things that she said. Just like Fox doesn't want to be held accountable for broadcasting some of the nonsense that filled Marjorie Taylor Greene's head. Well, it looks as though it'll take a court to settle this. Clearly, the Republican Party is not going to continue to allow, it's going to continue to allow bizarre and inflammatory things to fill the heads of the next generation of Marjorie Taylor Greens for years to come. We had a great show today, everybody. Ramana Hussein will be here from the Chicago Sun-Times. She's not going to be filling your heads with anything. But the truth, brilliant truth of Ramana Hussein, she's all fired up. We're going to talk about AOC and Marjorie Taylor Greene and the Golden Globes, a whole bunch of stuff I'll be talking about uh, with um, Ramana Hussein. Uh, but before we do that, the young man from home, the man that Marjorie Taylor Greene proudly calls Dennis. Dr. D. Ah, damn. <laughs> One of these With days. The news. <laughs> One of these days. One of these nights. Sorry. Oh, get that water. Get that water. Mm. Okay, let's go. Mm. How's it going, everybody? Before we find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois for the fourth and final time this week. We need to remind all of you listening to go and download this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews. It's true. Every Saturday, Sunday, and Monday morning, brand new pre-recorded content from the Ben Jarofsky Show for you to check out. Here's this weekend's lineup. Saturday, an old friend of the Ben Jarofsky Show. Ben loves talking with him. 
It's his former First Tuesday co-host, the one, the only, MD, McDumkey. Ben, yes. tell us about what you're going to... We haven't had the interview yet, but Ben, what are you planning on discussing with Mick? Well, you know what, D, here's the thing. When Mick and I get together, Lord knows where the conversation's going to go. So one of Mick's obsessions... Uh, is the insurrection and all the players behind the insurrection and whether there's a potential connection between uh, the Trump political operation, Donald Trump himself, and the insurrectionists. That's one of his obsessions. I share that. Uh, but then we also share an obsession over Chicago politics. And uh, so some of the antics that are happening right now in <laughs> Chicago City Council, which give me, you know, just like a moment of, I don't know, just to smile a little bit. I'm not, I'm not really appreciate the antics of my uh, alderman and mayor. So we may talk about Chicago politics as well. Or we may get into the handoff from uh, uh, Heather Stades to Kelly Cassidy. We all, we'll definitely talk about the Republican Party uh, and its it, moment of decision. Do they stick with Marjorie Taylor Greene or do they go with Adam Kinzinger? That's what it's coming down to right now. So... We'll probably talk about all those things. Uh, and uh, Mick Dumkey knows politics, folks, inside and out. Total political junkie. And uh, we have these conversations pretty much every week, when uh, at least once a week on the phone, just the two of us. So we're just going to sort of let all of you into the conversation this time. Uh, and that, uh, yeah, we'll do that uh, interview this afternoon, drop it tomorrow. All right. Yep. It's going to be available Saturday by 5 a.m. If you get up early, hey, you got an interview to listen to. Brand new with Mick Dupke. On to Sunday's interview. Guys, have you heard the news? First Tuesdays is back. Yeah, the hideout show. Every first Tuesday of the month. It's a virtual show these days. And what we did is I got the uh, MP3 of it, and we're going to make it available for download on Sunday. Uh, it's first Tuesday with Maya Dukmasova and Ben Jarofsky. Ben, tell everybody about it. Who is your guest again? Uh, Yana Kamenchov and uh, Greg Pratt, uh, two excellent educators. Well, uh, Yana's an education reporter, Greg Pratt, of course, City Hall, uh, reporter for the Chicago Tribune, and we sort of break down the, uh, the impasse between the teachers uh, and Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Uh, I know some of you, I want to thank you, uh, the listeners who already uh, heard it uh, on the live feed. It was, I uh, appreciate that a lot. Uh, it's essentially a fundraiser for the hideout. Really miss those old days. Uh, speaking of Frank, I could see Frank. He, he was a regular sitting um, uh, in the front row. Always was one of the first to ask a question. I miss those days so much, those first Tuesday shows at the hideout. People drinking, talking politics, the audience coming back with us. Some really smart people in that room know their politics inside and out. So those days will return. Yes, that vaccine will return. Um, but at the moment, we're doing the virtual. Uh, and so I appreciate everybody who spent the $5 to listen to the show on Tuesday uh, and uh, help out the hideout, really. And they like and they thank you as well. Uh, but for everybody else, check it out on uh, Sunday. It's an excellent conversation, in my humble opinion. Uh, Greg Pratt uh, from the Tribune. I love that dimension of the political angle. Like what's motivating Lori Lightfoot from the political angle? Does she think this is in her best interest? Is she uh, just a stubborn person? Uh, does she just have some bizarre uh, revulsion uh, to uh, the Chicago Teachers Union? She'll never get over that election. What's with the Chicago Teachers Union? Can't they just agree to let Lori do whatever she wants? Come on, guys. Let Lori do whatever she wants. 
So uh, that's it's a fun conversation. Yeah, I can't wait for the in-person uh, first Tuesdays again myself. Remember that one time Will Gazzardi showed up and everybody was having a good time. Then everybody went outside and there was the most <laughs> wicked game of hacky sack going on. Remember that? Holy crap. No one could. His legs are so long. He can't beat him in hacky sack. That's hilarious. Well, Gazzardi, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> state representative oh, from yeah. London Square. Very good progressive. I'm a progressive. Forgot to mention his title. Yeah, he's a state rep. Really tall. Tallest man in Springfield. Maybe. I don't know. That Frerichs is a big boy. Frerichs. Frerichs. Frerichs is like, give me the ball. I'm posting. I want the ball. I want it high in the air, okay? And so, boy, your, uh, your guy, uh, Giannoulis. Oh, that is my guy. Uh, he's he's a... Uh, He's about six. What's he running for? I forgot. Uh, secretary. For secretary of State. Yes. How could I forget? It's a sign of advancing age. I forgot. All for right. 10 trivia points, what's Dan this running for? Mayor of Evanston. Whoa. All right. <laughs> I knew that one. <laughs> so that's Sunday. All right. Available for download by 5 a.m. A replay of First Tuesday with Maya and Ben. And finally, on Monday, another return of a dear friend of the program, Juanita Irizarry. She's a friend of ours and she's a friend of the parks. Yeah, we take the deep dive on the Obama Center uh, coming to Jackson Park. Uh, we talk about General Irons and uh, putting up the shredder down on the southeast side, environmental racism, a lot of environmental issues, park issues. Then we get a little political. You know, Juanita feels pretty strongly about uh, the assaults of uh, on uh, AOC. And uh, so we take that, uh, we go into that direction as well. But a lot of local political talk with Juanita Irizarry. It's this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews available by 5 a.m. tomorrow, Sunday and Monday. Mick Dumpke, first Tuesday, Juanita Irizarry, ChicagoReader.com. And wherever you get podcasts, subscribe, tell your friends, give us a review. Five stars only. Okay, local news. Let's do it. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Face coverings. No public event scheduled for Mayor Lightfoot this afternoon. And you know, I'm sure she would love to have a public event or two today. I mean, anything besides dealing with these stubborn-ass teachers. Am I right, Madam Mayor? Yes, our coverage of the Chicago Teachers Union and their ongoing negotiations with the mayor and her Chicago public school team continues. Remember, the mayor and the CPS would really like the teachers to return to their classrooms. More teachers and staff are getting vaccinated and they have promised a safe and healthy return. And the Chicago Teachers Union, because the pandemic isn't quite over yet, they've been like, wait, what happened to stay home, save lives? <laughs> and the CPS has been like, oh, yeah, we changed that. It's now stay home, lose job. And here we are at a standstill. So. This week, the two parties have been negotiating, and I guess things got so hot this week that they needed a 48-hour cooling-off period, Ben. Who knows what was said before that decision was made? I want an answer. <laughs> On Thursday, Mayor Lightfoot announced that they made an offer to the teachers' union. And Ben, I don't think the plan worked, because the mayor did not sound cooled off one bit. The ball is in the CTU's court. Hey, what's the holdup, CTU? Come on! After 80-plus meetings and going above and beyond to address the CTU leadership's various issues and concerns, we are out of runway. Yeah, whatever that means. We're out of runway. Well, that was what we knew yesterday. 
So since we last left you, the CTU did make a counter offer to a safe return to the classrooms. This was around 5 p.m. on Thursday. The Sun-Times headline from Stefano, I love the red line, Esposito, and Nader Asa reads, CTU sends counteroffer after mayor pushes for deal today, but no resolution announced. While the union prepared for continued talks, little news came out of the mayor's office after a 5.30 p.m. update said, quote, we received a counterproposal from CTU leadership and are working on a response. Details of the union's offer were not shared, but was also noted that the CTU accused the district of rejecting its most pressing demands and that it was the city's fault negotiations have dragged on to this point. The CTU said it had, quote, begged for earnest conversations with CPS leadership for months, but the district said repeatedly that it did not have to negotiate a safe reopening and didn't take bargaining seriously until the union threatened to defy the district's reopening plan. Now to today's news. Mayor Lori Lightfoot and CPS Chief Janice Jackson has responded to the Chicago Teachers Union counterproposal. The mayor said in a statement this morning, way before Ben was awake, quote, The statement said, yesterday afternoon, we received a counterproposal from CTU leadership and responded with our last best and final offer we expect a response from <laughs> we expect a response from CTU leadership today we will be making further statements later today about school on monday okay all right that's it we're out of runway the ball's in your cart let me just point out as i speak oh god this, can I just go on a brief tangent about the weather last night, Dave? I, I went for my walk. It was like a snow that wasn't really snow. It was like slush falling from the sky. Slush that became ice as soon as it hit the ground. And there I am walking down the street like, I am I am insane walking down the street. I need fresh air, I said to myself. But this is crazy. Like, it would be like slush, literally slush falling from the sky. And then it turns to ice when it hits the ground. And then... I woke up today bright and early at 10, and what do I discover? It's like 10 degrees out. It's so freaking. I went outside to get the newspapers bright and early at 10, 15, D, and it was so cold. So it's like, I don't know. I mean, what's the rush to open school? Let me just remind you. I think the last I heard, I saw 20% of kids will return. 20%. 20%. And by the way, we're not even talking about high school. They haven't figured that one out. Only 20%. That's that's those who say they will, they will return, like if the weather's semi-nice. I don't know who's going to show up in this. You know what I'm saying? It's going to be like all next week, D, it's going to be um, below zero or at zero. Now I know what you're going to say, Dennis. I can see your mind. Go, Ben, we're tough. We're tough in Chicago. A little cold doesn't bother us. A little slush falling from the the sky, instantly turning the ice does not fall us, does not deter us. I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I, I got a feeling a lot of people just going to stay home. I know utter madness. I uh, I feel that the CTU uh, and Lori Lightfoot are just going to fight constantly. And and by the way, Lori Lightfoot, I got to say this. I, I, D, I woke up this morning and I go, I've been too negative to Lori Lightfoot. So I'm going to um, start being nice to Lori Lightfoot today, okay? 
today. Right. Okay. This is my whole thing about being like, you're going to hear it's going to be a theme running through today's show. So be nice to Lori Lightfoot. You know, there's a, I will defend Lori Lightfoot in this. There's a lot of people whispering in her ear. You know, some of them are not even whispering, they're shouting, be tough. Don't let him give an inch. Who runs this city? You or Jesse Sharkey? That was uh, a John Cass editorial the other day. Jesse Sharkey should be the mayor because he calls the charts. Can you imagine how upset Lori Lightfoot was when she saw that? I'm the mayor, not Jesse Sharkey. And then you got the Tribute editorial board and the Sun-Times editorial board. Don't listen to those teachers. Send them back to the classroom. So it's motivated her, D. You know what I'm saying? She's I don't think there's anybody in her political universe that has anything resembling a like a a, a, a pigeon, <laughs> a, a smidgen, I should say, not a pigeon, a pigeon's a bird, a smidgen of sympathy <laughs> for the Chicago Teachers Union. So, yeah, you know, it's like she's been influenced by a lot of people. There. How about that? D? I'm being really nice to Lori. She's been influenced. Way by to go. Powers and B in the city and then i gotta be really i gotta give a shout out i don't know who writes janice jackson's uh twitter feed but she came up with a pretty good one uh a good tweet which the sun times put in their uh, newspaper i don't know if you saw this d uh jackson and lightfoot uh have repeatedly quoted studies showing reopening schools is generally safe jackson tweeted thursday that quote at this point, finding a health, a public health expert who opposes in-person learning is like finding a scientist who doesn't believe in climate change. And Actually, not a bad line. When I read that, Dave, oh, that's a good line. That's a good line. Although it's not accurate. Just going to say, Dr. Howard Ehrman repeatedly has denounced the city's plans to force everybody to go back to school. So not everybody agrees that this is perfectly safe. And I will point this out. Very important point. Public health experts who talk about going back to public schools are speaking in generalities. They don't know anything about the city of Chicago. I would love to lead public health experts on a tour of the schools of the city of Chicago. Get them to read some of the uh, uh, inner office, the, the memos that the, the central office sends out to its teachers. Let's 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 see if the water is working in this school today. Is it hot water? If it's cold water, let's see if the engineer is wearing a mask or did he just forget it? Let's see if there's a dead mouse lying in the classroom. Sorry, Jay Marie. So these public health. Okay, now he's just picking on you, Jay Marie. These public health experts—they're like talking about something like in the abstract. They've never been to Chicago. Except for Howard Ehrman, it's the one. So it's funny, the one public health expert who knows something about Chicago says don't open the schools. All the public health experts who don't live in Chicago say, ah, sure, go back, what the heck. Anyway, it was a great line. So there you go, D. I'm closing out the weekend by being really nice to uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Funny line, Janice Jackson. I don't know who wrote it. I'll give you credit for it. I'm sure you do your own Twitter. Well, we do have some breaking news. We'll see where that positivity stands after that. Oh, here goes positivity. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times. Nader Issa and Sophie Sherry. The headline reads, CTU says city's final offer falls short, wants to keep bargaining on school reopening. Hours after Mayor Lori Lightfoot and Chicago Public Schools officials said they made their last, best, and final offer. (laughs) 
CPS's offer fell short in a number of key areas in the union's view, according to a draft of an email that was obtained by the Chicago Sun-Times and scheduled to be sent to members Friday afternoon. CTU leadership didn't, quote, consider it a serious proposal. I'm not surprised. First of all, they're not, no one's going to school tomorrow. It's Saturday. And really, who wants to go to school next week anyway? It's going to be like zero. So yeah, spend the rest of the week with more meetings. I'm starting to think that the uh, negotiating team over CTU secretly enjoys these meetings with the HR guys, D. Just throwing that out there. Sounds like utter torture to me. So, like, D, I got a feeling we'll be discussing this next week. All right. I was expecting you to say more about that, so it got me a little off guard. All right, moving on. More Chicago news. And yes, more news involving the mayor. And boy, I tell you, the relationship between Mayor Lightfoot and her city council members sure is an interesting one. A lot of drama. Earlier in the week, city council floor leader Gilbert Viegas became former city council floor leader Gilbert Viegas. He said, to hell with this, and handed in his resignation. And you know, the mayor didn't seem to need a cooling off period for this one because right after the news dropped, she was already welcoming her new floor leader, Alderwoman Michelle Harris, with open arms. Get lost, Viegas. Am I right, Madam Mayor? And leave it to the top city beat reporter to get the interview with the new city council floor leader first. In her latest episode of the Fran Spielman show, Fran Spielman sat down and talked one on one with Harris about her new gig. She wrote about it in the Sun Times as well. And we're going to talk about what she talked about, and I'll read what she wrote, and Ben, you talk about what I wrote about, what she talked about and wrote about, and then I'll maybe talk about what you talked about from what Fran talked and wrote about. How's that sound? Oh, my God. Wow. That sounds like uh, Governor Pritzker explaining uh, the various <laughs> phase one. Uh, so mixed up. Wait a minute. Is phase one like the good one or is phase four the bad one? People pass the popcorn because it's time for episode 255 of everyone's favorite daily Chicago political soap opera, A Mayor and Her Alderman. A Mayor and Her Alderman. I won't just turn the car around. I'm going to shut it off. I'm going to kick you out and I'm going to make you walk home. Here's the piece from Franz Spielman. The headline reads, Harris faces uphill battle as Lightfoot's new city council floor leader. Alderwoman Michelle Harris, been of what ward? Eighth. Good, good you're good. Uh, <laughs> Alderman Michelle Harris knows how to clean up somebody else's mess for th uh, from th the three years she spent as sanitation superintendent in her ward. Now she'll try to do the same for Mayor Lori Lightfoot by cleaning up the mess the mayor made of her relationship with the city council. Harris, who turns 60 in December, is the antithesis of the combative mayor she serves. She's one of the council's most genuine and likable members. But picking up garbage and removing snow is a whole lot easier than cleaning up somebody else's political mess. Get it, Fran? <laughs> So now we have quotes from Michelle Harris on her new job. First, she spoke about the infighting and the high school-like behavior of her colleagues in the city council. New Vice Principal Harris said, quote, people's personalities are what they are. It's my job to keep everybody in the room talking to each other. That's as much as I'm going to be able to do to move the conversations forward on both sides. 
Harris went on to say about uh, working with Lightfoot, quote, I'm going to help her move her agenda forward. That's what I'm here for. She's going to help me move her agenda forward. It's a two way street. It's all in the mayor's lap now. The relationship is all in the mayor's lap. I don't feel like I can solve the world's problems and I'm not trying to. I'm just trying to work with all of my colleagues. Fran then asked Harris, how can a floor leader be effective without the currency of politics needed to round up votes? Harris said only that she would do her best to, quote, solve uh, solve people's problems, even when it even when it comes to the six member socialist caucus whose left wing views could not be more different than her own. Harris said, quote, whether the socialists, whether the socialists want to work with me or not, I want to work with them. They get to sit down at the table. They get to say, put my food on the plate. Okay. Where do I start? First of all, I think you called her actually a vice principal. Yeah, it was a joke because... Vice president, the high school, like, the high school like behavior. She's the vice yeah. principal. And, and Mayor Lightfoot will be the principal. Like, Whoa, that was like a really deep joke that worked at many levels. Uh, many thoughts on this. Um, number one, uh, I don't know what the last floor leader did uh, that was so bad. I'm not really sure uh, that floor leader is the issue here. Uh, the issue is that the city council is much different than the one that existed uh, in previous administrations. Uh, and then this thing about socialism. All right, let's take it. Uh, let me start with the socialists first. That, I find that really um, just mind boggling that a uh, Democratic alderman, Democratic, from the 8th Ward on the south side of Chicago would say that the socialists' views, the Democratic socialists of the city council, couldn't be more different than hers. How? I would think like, like the Fraternal Order Police's views would be, couldn't be more different than the alder woman of the 8th Ward. But how are the Democratic socialist views more different? Democratic socialists want less inequity in the city of Chicago, want funds more evenly and fairly distrib- distributed. Is that something that people in the 8th District, the 8th Ward, are against? The Democratic socialists want police who beat up people or shoot people held accountable for the actions. Is that something that the alderwoman of the 8th Ward would be against? The Democratic Socialists of the City Council Council want more money spent on things like nurses and librarians in our public schools. Is that something that the Alderwoman of the 8th Ward would be against? The Democratic Socialists of Chicago do not want $1.3 billion dedicated in property taxes dedicated to the development of an upscale project in an already gentrifying neighborhood. Now, the alderman of the 8th Ward voted for that, but I got a feeling most of the residents in the 8th Ward would be against it. And the only reason that they haven't expressed their opposition to it is because Chicago mayors have done a masterful job of covering up these corporate handouts to the well-to-do. So I can't think of really any issue that the socialist alderman in the city council and an alderwoman from the 8th ward on the south side would be against. 
would would be opposing. I can't think of one. It's so bizarre that somehow or other, the leaders of this city, the political leaders of the city, Michelle Harris is very much Lori Lightfoot's uh, ally, obviously. She's now the floor leader. Would feel compelled to isolate the socialists as though they're some kind of weird collection of political creatures that are just alien to their wards. One of the leaders of that socialist group is the great Jeanette Taylor, the 20th ward, which is right down the street from Michelle Harris's ward. You mean telling me you, Michelle Harris, disagree with Jeanette Taylor on the issues of the day? Uh, so right now, the, the, just buying into this notion, we talked about this earlier with the mayor. Her, her purpose right now is to isolate the left in this city as like it's some kind of demonic fringe. Like the equivalent, like there's equivalency between the left and the right. Like Trumpers and Carlos Ramirez Rosa. You know, like everyone in the middle will come to her. And I just think that's really unfair to the Carlos Ramirez Roses of the world. They're the ones who are fighting for the things that people supposedly want in the city of Chicago. I don't know anybody in the city of Chicago who believes we should continue to have an unequal situation in our public schools. In fact, I just heard Mayor Lori Lightfoot yesterday passionately extolling the need to break down the barriers of social of inequity in the public schools. Got to get the kids back in school, she said, so that the gap doesn't continue to expand. Well, who wants that more than the socialists in the, in the Chicago City Council? And yet they're treated like these alien creatures from outer space. That really rubs me the wrong way. I guess it's because I'm a lefty, D. <laughs> it just exacerbates the reality in Chicago. Everybody, like, speaks up for the need to do away with the vestiges of racism and inequity. But when you actually try to do something about it, they call you a troublemaker. They call you a lefty. They call you some weirdo. They call you a socialist. They dropped the Democrat from social. You notice that? The socialist members. So I, I, I just find Chicago a very baffling place. And, uh, it's funny, I didn't hear him talking about the far-right members of the Chicago City Council and the need to try to win them over. In that last budget, in that last budget battle, it was 29 to 21. Mayor got 29 votes to pass it. That's all she needed. She didn't need... A 50 to nothing vote. She had to pass her budget. She passed her budget. When it was all over, I remember she's, what did she say, D? She's going to drink, was it whiskey or bourbon? or And smoke a cigar. Remember that? She was going to, I remember the smoking the cigar and it was some kind of celebratory drink because she passed her budget. And I gave her credit for passing her budget. It was wheeling and dealing, et cetera, and so forth. But the opposition wasn't just socialists. They were folks from the right who were really upset with her uh, having to do with police issues. And they were kind of finding, uh, following John Canizera's lead on this because they were on, they realized like Alderman Marty Quinn in the 13th Ward, 
or uh, Alderman Anthony DiPolitano in the 41st Ward. These are outlying wards in the city of Chicago. They realized that they were vulnerable to threats by the Fraternal Order of Police to run opposition candidates. Uh, uh, Matt O'Shea of the 19th Ward. But you know what? They're not. It's very interesting. Those aldermen aren't the one who are being demonized in this current situation. Why don't you just be honest and say the Chicago City Council is at a more evolved place in its existence where aldermen don't feel compelled to do whatever the mayor tells them. I think that's generally a healthy thing for democracy. So this notion that somehow or other there's something wrong with the city of Chicago because the mayor's not winning budgets by votes of 50 to nothing, I think is absurd. It goes against everything we've been saying. We don't want the aldermen to be rubber stamps. Now we want them to be rubber stamps. So I, I give, I told you, this is going to be my day of giving Alderman Lightfoot credit. First, I gave Janice Jackson credit for a very funny tweet, even if it was inaccurate. Gave her credit, right, D? Okay. Now I'm going to give uh, Lori Lightfoot credit. Things have changed in the Chicago City Council. There are aldermen on the left who are not just going to support the mayor. They were elected by their constituents not to be rubber stamps. And so she has to negotiate with them and has to win them over. And she won Andre Vasquez over in the 40th Ward. And uh, it's different than when uh, Mayor Rahm and Mayor Daley were the mayors. All of them cowered in fear for these all-powerful mayors. So I give Lori Lightfoot credit. She negotiated a very difficult terrain. I don't know what Michelle Harris is going to do any different than the Vegas. Because ultimately, it's Lori Lightfoot you're negotiating with. Not whichever alderman or alderwoman gets the title of the mayor's floor leader. So we know how Harris feels about the mayor. Let's hear about how the mayor feels about Harris and her aldermanic colleagues. Another day, another Fran Spielman column. Mayor Lori Lightfoot said Thursday that voters gave her, quote, a mandate to change the status quo, not to win a popularity contest with the city council and traced her contentious relationship with aldermen to her refusal to buy votes. Two days after changing floor leaders, a defiant Lightfoot denied her combative personality had turned her contentious relationship with the city council from bad to worse. Lightfoot said she replaced Gilbert Viegas, the 36th ward, with alderwoman Michelle Harris before she had even reached midterm because Viegas, quote, came to me in good faith and said he wanted to focus on other issues. But the mayor openly acknowledged what she called the, quote, style point. That is the contentious relationship she established by using her inaugural address to portray, to portray the city council as corrupt, issuing an executive order, stripping aldermen of their prerogative over licensing and permitting and disdaining the horse trading that is the currency of politics. She said, quote, I don't buy votes. I never have and never will. I manage every vote to 26. If I wanted to run up votes, I could buy votes and offer taxpayers money to buy votes. I don't buy votes. She said, quote, I'm different in every single way than any other mayor that's ever been here before. Some folks are comfortable with that. Some are not. But I'm not here for a popularity contest with the city council. All right. Uh <laughs> When she talks about uh, buying votes is an age-old process in the Chicago City Council. And, you know, buying votes in quotes, D, right? 
and they go on further in the uh, in the article. I bring in Pat O'Connor to say it's not literally like giving someone a bribe. Pat O'Connor used to be the alderman in the 40th Ward, used to be Mayor Rahm's, Mayor Daly's floor leader. Uh, and um, uh, so he's not saying literally giving them money for a vote. It's like, hey, let's negotiate. You want my vote on the budget? Well, I happen to have a, a street that needs repaved. Could sure use some TIF money for that. Or I have this big uh, development deal I want to put together. Sure could use the okay for that. I remember Rick Munoz used to tell me, yeah, Ben, I voted for the mayor's budget, but I was wheeling and dealing on behalf of my war. So that's what they mean uh, by uh, trading, buying votes. I don't know. It seems pretty much one-on-one of Democratic politics, small d. Republicans do it all the time. Ronald Reagan, the hero of the Republican Party. And I'm not not saying, uh, I'm not condoning this. I'm just explaining what happened. When he was trying to round up Democratic votes to support his war uh, against the Sandinistas and uh, in Nicaragua in the 1980s, ancient history uh, for many of you out there. But uh, he was trying to get uh, support from Democrats. He called up William Lipinski, who was the uh, father of Daniel Lipinski. And he Lipinski had already said he was going to, uh, he was a conservative Democrat from the Southwest side. He already said he was going to support Reagan. And uh, Reagan essentially said, well, what do you need? Do you have anything you need? And Lipinski said, hey, it's funny you should mention that. We can use some funding for the CTA. And that's, that's the legend of how uh, we got federal funding for the line that goes out to Midi, Midway, Midway Airport. Uh, it was traded and swapped for a vote on the Contras. I didn't see anybody condemning that, except for lefties like myself, who were disappointed with uh, Bill Lipinski voting uh, for aid for the Contras. But I didn't see anybody else, the mainstream, condemning that. That's just... Democracy, you. I need your vote. What's it going to take? You know, and it's somebody would say, "Oh, that's wasteful spending." Well, it may be the, because you don't live in that district. It may somebody may think like uh, building a subway line to Midway is wasteful spending. Yeah, if you live in Nebraska, but if you live on the southwest side, finally, we got a, a subway line that cuts through the southwest side of Chicago for you. Folks, anybody who's old enough to remember back in the 70s, taking an Archer bus was the only connection, 70s and early 80s, from the southwest side to the loop. So, yes, it was an important contribution to Chicago's development uh, that that extension to uh, Midway was constructed. So I I just feel like there's a, a bad name giving to horse trading and using your leverage to get something for your district. I think that's democracy with a uh, small D. So it's a given. I think Lori Lightfoot uh, is giving that a bad name. Oh, I was supposed to say nice things and only nice things about Lori Lightfoot today, D. Uh, I just kind of missed the. Let's just take that out of the uh, for the podcast, right? Uh, <laughs> no, but seriously, Lori Lightfoot's just given a bad name to uh, what's just standard behavior in the Chicago City Council, in the Illinois General Assembly, in Congress, in Washington. Then she has this this whole secondary thing about alderman and prerogative. Are you going to get into that one, D? That's it. All right. Well, alderman and prerogative, I may write a story about this. I think Lori Lightfoot made a mistake when uh, she came down so hard on alderman and prerogative and said... uh, that from here on out, she's going to get rid of it. 
and that zoning decisions, et cetera, and so forth would be determined by bureaucrats in city hall. I completely disagree with that. As you folks know, I believe that the local aldermen should be sort of the quarterbacks of these zoning matters in their own wards. Otherwise just get rid of the aldermen. There's no need to have aldermen. That's, that's their main function. They're elected uh, in part according to how they handle these. Often they could be really uh, contentious disputes where two sides are at each other's throats and aldermen have to broker some peace or side with one over the other and pay the consequences. But to put that in the hands of some unknown bureaucrat in City Hall makes no sense to me. It's very undemocratic. And I just think Lori Lightfoot, again, listening to the wrong people. And in this case, I can't be more sympathetic for it because it was across the board denunciation, denunciation of automated prerogative. Even lefties lost their mind temporarily. We're, I used to argue with a bunch of them. I don't hear that argument that much anymore, D. It's interesting. So, yeah, so I can see she antagonized a lot of aldermen when she did that. And really, there's nothing Michelle Harris. Michelle Harris can do about that. She can sing pretty songs. She can blow up balloons, whatever. That's not Gilbert Viegas's fault. It wasn't his fault that Lori Lightfoot took a strong stand against automated prerogative. So I think the mayor might want to reconsider that one. You know, just like she may want to reconsider her relationship with Stacey Davis Gates and the Chicago Teachers Union. And Alderman who blows up balloons. That'd be pretty cool. Yes. Balloons, blows up balloons. I think that's what they said. Isn't in yesterday's story? Didn't they talk about balloons? I don't know. Let's talk statewide news. And Ben, for once, I think I may enjoy this. A hellacious snowstorm barreled through Illinois this week. Let's hear more about it. It's time for Ben's favorite weekly segment. We've played it uh, for about four weeks now, and every time, oh, God, it's so boring. But I'm curious what he has to say here. It's our weekly Illinois weather report with state climatologist Trent Ford. And listeners, I don't know, maybe give yourself like a good slap in the face if you get a little sleepy here. Take it away, Trent Ford. From the Illinois State Water Survey at the University of Illinois Prairie Research Institute, this is Illinois State Climatologist Trent Ford. Average temperatures this past week range from the low 20s in northern Illinois to the mid-30s in southern Illinois, between 1 and 5 degrees above normal for this time of the year. Mm. This week capped off a warmer than normal January, with a statewide mm. average January temperature about 2.5 degrees above the 1981 mm. to 2010 normal. This past week was also much more active on the precipitation side. Seven-day totals range from about a quarter of an inch in northwestern Illinois to over 1.5 inches in central Illinois. Seven-day snowfall totals range from just over a tenth of an inch along a line stretching from Calhoun to Gallatin County, all the way up... Okay, I can't take it. Wait, <laughs> I really like the precipitation part of that report, T. It's a little wetter than it usually is. Uh, I, I, we need an update. We need an update right now from Trent Ford on how cold it's going to be for the next week. Can you, get, can you work on that a little bit? I'll work on that. that I'll work on that. Hey, that's our local news, guys. Remember, you can find the Ben Jarofsky Show at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can always send us an email, Show at gmail.com. If you want us to read your voicemail on the show, leave your name and where you're from. Very helpful. Uh, you can also call the Ben Jarofsky Show. It's true. 708-658-4788. That number again is 708-658-4788. We would love to hear from you. Also, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows. This weekend's Benny J bonus interviews. Don't forget about him. So much more. ChicagoReader.com and wherever else you download podcasts. Ben, anything you'd like to add here before we take a break? 
Well, there was one story uh, in the Sun-Times that caught my attention. And uh, long wait for mail. Oh, my God. My heart goes out to these folks in uh, Englewood. Uh, Some of them haven't gotten mail in two weeks. And uh, so they had uh, a protest outside a post office uh, on South Ashland Avenue, 65th and South Ashland in Englewood. Several aldermen showed up. Uh, I don't blame them. It's nothing more frustration when the mail stops. And one thing they did say, um, they go, well, this would never happen on the north side. Uh, I just have to say, and generally, very generally, uh, you're, I would agree with you 100% on that one. But I've seen some screw-ups in the U.S. mail on the north side as well. I just want to say back in the, oh, my God, and then I kind of lost track of time. I did so many stories about the, uh, uh, the mail service uh, in the uh, Edgewater area. Uh, folks were always calling me up. That's terrible. It's horrible. And uh, just in general, things have gotten much worse uh, in the last four years. Obviously, Donald Trump cutting funding uh, for the post office and just really making life miserable. And I've always just believed this is the New Deal Democrat MED. Let's fortify the post office. Let's like hire more mail uh, letter carriers. Great jobs. Pay good benefits. Good, strong union jobs would really uh, fortify a community uh, to have people. And I know I'm biased in this one. I used to work for the post office. My father used to work for the post office. My sister worked for a lot of post workers and my background. But just great jobs. And it's like, just seems uh, so detrimental to be cutting the post office as much as it is. That said, the most bizarre thing happened to me. And I told Dennis about this. A uh, very weird thing happened to me the other day. This, this mystery, a baffling mystery. My uh, It was my wife's birthday, and my daughter sent my wife a box, which was filled with all kinds of knickknacks and birthday presents, uh, like, uh, I don't know, candles and a book and a letter, They a really nice note that they wrote. Uh, and um, so they were going to uh, have this uh, moment where the box would arrive and my wife would call my daughters and she would open the box and pull out all the little presents they bought for her, like little jewelry, that kind of thing. Nothing tremendously monetarily valuable, but all just really important stuff uh, that my daughters were giving uh, to my wife and everybody was going to enjoy it. It's going to be a beautiful thing. My wife opened the box and all the things that, my um, daughters had put in the box were gone. Instead, they were replaced by these knitted scarves. And somewhere along the line, I, sh- I took a picture and showed us the dentist. Somewhere along the lines between California, where the box was mailed, and Chicago, uh, where, of course, it was delivered to us, somebody opened the box, took all the trinkets and stuff out and the books and the candles, what have you, uh, that my daughter had packed in and replaced it with knitted scarves. It's really, it's like something out of the twilight zone. Like, who would do something like that? Was it kind of a bizarre joke? I mean, if you were to steal the the things that were in the box, first of all, they're not that valuable. They're only valuable to my wife and the, my daughters, really. Uh, it's not creating monetary value to them. But I kind of think that the scarves may totally, may if you add up the price tag, they may be more valuable than what was in the box. Very weird. Like a weird, bizarre twist and turn. So I was thinking about that when I saw that story about the post office. The post office is having some rough times. Rough times indeed. Uh, 
I know there's a tendency for lefties like myself to blame everything on Donald Trump, but they, Donald Trump really did let government go to hell. And I was part of that whole government, that whole anti-government uh, worldview of the Republican Party. And uh, so let's hope under Biden, the post office gets a little more funding and can get its act together. All right, everybody, don't go anywhere. When we come back, Ramana Hussein will join us with the Ramana Rundown. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from my apartment in Ben's attic. <laughs> 